For July 25th, 2011, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 160, bringing a gun to a shield fight. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, California, uh, where there are no captains of America, I am your host, Matthew Rather, here with panel to overthink Captain America and the America of which he is captain and the captainship that he has of America uh, with the panel. Um, Panel, if you could be the captain of something and be genetically engineered to be the captain of that, or not, not genetically engineered, but, you know... Um, made in Vita Ray eyes, Vita Ray eye, Vitamita Vegerade to um, to be the captain of something. Uh, what would you want to be the captain of? Bonus points if it's a uh, if it's an identi- uh, an identity group of which you are already a member. Um, you know, like over overthinkers or something like that. No, Captain Overthinker is a is a puffy cloud, and uh, we salute him. Hail Hail Otis. Oh, I thought, you were, I thought you were all going to do it and pump your... Hail Otis! And then pump Hail Otis! And then the, <laughs> Double fist pump. <laughs> all right, hum, humoring, me, humoring me is Pete Fenzel, so why don't we start with you, Pete? <laughs> always, Matt, always. <laughs> um, so I would, uh, I would have the, uh, the scientists uh, genetically engineer me or bioengineer me to have kind of like a very thick strong uh, horn-like uh, index and middle fingers and uh, the ability to uh, adjust the weight of a given object with my mind so that I could be uh, Captain Self-Checkout at the grocery store. Um, because I have to say that there's no, there's, there's no task to which I feel physically uh, less appropriately uh, inclined uh, than necessary than than, uh, than the self checkout at the grocery store and then like walking home with my groceries. It is like a a weekly curse to have to uh, go there. And be like no, I, I I know that I can't tell you exactly how much the Seven Up weighs, but I can tell you that it's not incorrect on the scale. Like it is. This is a discreet box Seven Up. If I had some sort of rank like a military rank perhaps uh maybe those machines would finally respect me and they would let me get to the uh the red box so i can get out a tom berenger movie before i go home <laughs> or like a buster rhyme straight to video or something along those lines so yeah that's what i would go with and i'd also i'd also be able to um produce uh, uh gum candy and celebrity gossip uh, at will, it would be another one of my mutant powers. <laughs> Pete, you can uh, you have Netflix streaming now, right? You can uh, you can stream Busta Rhymes directly into your living room. <laughs> the, you know, there, you spent so you spent so much time thinking about whether or not you could. You didn't stop to think about whether you should. <laughs> to, to Ian Malcolm, this situation, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, don't play God, rather don't play God. You don't stream, but one does not just stream. Buster Rhymes into one's living room. That is, uh, that is, that is, that is a tall order, sir. I need Guahir the Windlord to get that done. <laughs> I'm just dropping references left and right because I haven't seen the Captain America movie, which I'm depending upon all you guys to catch me up on because it sounds like it was pretty good. But I should let the other people answer with their military ranks into various absurd disciplines before uh, moving on <laughs> to that subject. Mark Lee, what are you the captain of? All right, I was trying to think of something other than Captain Asian America. But I'm going to have to go with Captain Asian America. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> it's, uh, it's some low-hanging fruit, and it's got to be picked. Hold on um, while I drink. 
Yeah, I know, right? Mm. Identity politics, Marx and Asian. Um, so I would be, you know, Vita Ray eyes to be a really amazingly hardworking small business owner. I would work like <laughs> 26 hours a day and not hire any help. I would just like man that deli all by myself for 26 <laughs> hours. I would like run so fast that I would like duplicate myself. So there'd be another one of me stocking the shelves while I'm um, helping with customers. And, and so a there, third one, making sure nobody's stealing anything, right? Also that, yes. yes. Um, and me, meanwhile, all the whole time, um, not... And a, and a fourth one, to keep your daughter from dating white guys. Oh, wham. You went there. Okay. And so also to compliment, while I'm so busy uh, you know, running my small business, I would be extra good at not participating in politics and not having my voice heard. <laughs> <laughs> I went there. Wham! Captain Asian America to the rescue. <laughs> what, do you, what do you carry? Is it a shield with, you know... <laughs> it's a, a... I'm just going to stop. I'm, I'm, this is just going to go nowhere good. Yeah. Adamantium chopsticks? Were you going to say adamantium chopsticks? Because I thought you were going to say adamantium chopsticks. No, chopsticks of vibranium. Get it right! Vibranium. I'm sorry, it's an alloy of adamantium. I apologize. Again, I haven't seen the movie. I'm going entirely off of my own lore here, but even I should have known that. I mean, I did play Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 last night, so if it has to do with you know, some repetitive beat-em-up action, I'll do my best to keep up. Uh, yeah. Josh chopsticks. Josh McNeil. So extra points for a category you're already in, and I'm a straight white man from Alabama, and captain of any of those things gets real awkward real fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe, I believe they call that Grand Dragon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to go with uh, Captain Captain, and I'm going to be uh, bioengineered to be the perfect ship's captain, and I will have incredible balance regardless of uh, the seas, and I will be particularly salty and weather-beaten. Uh, <laughs> despite... Despite my current uh, youthful visage, I will instantly age and look leathery for the next 150 years. And it's <laughs> I thought when you said Captain Captain that you were going to be mixing rum and Coke drinks. But uh, that's another thing. That. I'm, also, I'm also incredibly good at partnering with Tennille. <laughs> <laughs> Tennille, Tennille, and Captain Captain. <laughs> am, I the only, am I the only guy who kept thinking of the slogan, have you got a little captain in you, when Kate Beckinsale was on screen and... Never mind. (laughs) She didn't. Anyway. (laughs) We'll we'll correct that later, but but go on. Uh, Stokes. Is it me already? Uh, Nobody. Oh, no, Parrish. Sorry. Sorry. Parrish. Sorry. Wow. You had scrolled off the Skype window. I guess rather is going to be Captain Alphabet, maybe. Mm. <laughs> Mega burn. <laughs> Nailed him on that one. How's that taste, Matt? How's that taste? The, the it's like ashes, right? With genetically enhanced power of keeping things. I just, I just feel hurt. Okay. So I am going to take it inspired by the movie where, you know, Steve Rogers is a 95-pound weakling who's turned into a super soldier because he's a 95-pound weakling and because his his insight into, I guess, the inability to do a pull-up will make him a better soldier or, or something like that. So in a similar vein, I'm going to become Captain Average Proportions because for people who don't know me, I'm about 6'5 and a little extra and maybe a buck 80 if, I, if I've eaten a lot that day. So the, the super serum and vitarays will shrink me down to about six foot one and maybe a hundred and eighty five ish pounds. And I will, but I will use the insight I had from being tall to help like design airplane seats and you know make sure benches at bars have you know enough space between 
the bar and the and the and the seat so you don't keep kicking your knees on it, making sure that you know shelves aren't too high for people to be able to reach and and things like that. And I will I will aid ergonomics and interior design throughout the world as Captain Average Proportions. Excellent. And clothing design. And uh and, I thought and that was gonna get way dirtier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I leave that for you guys. Okay, now, where now I say it's... maybe if she's five three, is that what I say now? <laughs> that, is that the time for that? Because there it is. Deal with it. That's the reality. That's that is your world now, and you have to you have to live with that reality. All right, <laughs> I, I have to live with the reality that I'm bad at the alphabet. But now it's time for Stokes, isn't it? It's always yes. Time for Stokes. <laughs> oh, it's true. <laughs> How's it going, guys? So I would be Captain Movie Watcher. And I would be uh, sculpted by Vitaries like so. I would have broad, sloping, gently padded buttocks um, so that I could sit on, on those, those little chairs for as long as I needed to without ever feeling uh, uncomfortable. And I would have an incredibly large bladder so that no matter how much <laughs> soda I drank, I wouldn't have to go to the bathroom until I was damn good and ready. And then I would have uh, special, special uh, corneas so that I could see in 3D without having to wear the stupid glasses. And those of you who know me know that except for the, the 3D thing, that's already true. So I'm giving the scientists a, an easy day. Um, that's it. Also, you have the ability to like derive vitamins from junior mints. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so mine, uh, I'm going to be Captain Identification, and uh, my power is recognizing people, because I'm, I'm phenomenally bad at it, and uh, if I could be better at one thing in my life, it would be remembering people's names. I, I have called friends, good friends of mine, the wrong thing, uh, like on the phone or to their face. I just am not, it's not something that I, I match up with well. Case in point, uh, Parrish was about to well actually me. Um, it, it, it's obviously not Kate Beckinsale in the Captain America movie. It is uh, Haley Atwell, who plays, um, you know, Peggy Carter in the movie. And I, uh, I apparently have only room in my head for one English uh, brunette actress, right? And, and uh, Kate Winslet, I'm sorry, uh, you got displaced, I guess, several years ago by Kate Beckinsale because I've been watching a lot of, um, you know, uh, what... Uh, cut rate sci-fi or something your betrayal of rachel weiss will not go unnoticed <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a sh- it's a shame so uh yes captain identification with um with a memory for actual names of people uh like stokes and Parrish and Haley. so when you carry that shield like captain america on the inside of that shield is just like a picture of all of your friends and like their names under it right? it looks like the fbi most wanted list except it's people i like and know and and an people, ipad of facebook right? yeah exactly yeah exactly people i should recognize <laughs> you know uh people like uh, celebrities and public figures and people i should recognize because i'm i'm terrible at that at that poop um but hey we watch captain america all except for pete Yes, I apologize for that. I am Commie. Uh, an inadequate patriot, terrorist. Apparently. Hydra member. <laughs> <laughs> I did play Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2, which is, has a plot, I think. 
it takes a while. You play, I played it for about two hours, and I think there's some sort of plot, but I'm not going to go into it because it's far too complicated and didn't make a lot of sense. Can but it, no, can guys, t- can, yeah, what's can up? We probably, I, we probably shouldn't spend too much time on this, but can we talk about a video game named Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2? Because presumably the Ultimate Alliance was meant to be the Ultimate Alliance. And if there is an Ultimate Alliance 2, that means the first one is what? Marvel Penultimate Alliance? Exactly. It was retconned to the Penultimate Alliance. (laughs) Yeah. But what if if they come out with a third one? It will be Marvel Anti-Penultimate Alliance, Marvel Penultimate (laughs) Alliance, and then Marvel (laughs) Ultimate Alliance. Nice, nice. Grammar pedantry, drink. (laughs) <laughs> actually if they come out with another one it becomes all marvel post ultimate alliance <laughs> by the Don't, way i'm reminded that uh, marvel should take upon has probably has a, a staff captain retconning to take hmm. to, to handle right, right, right. and uh, and retcons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah but i want to hear about this movie because everybody that i've talked to has been impressed by it and it sounds like it's it's thought-provoking and interesting and has some moments of emotional sincerity, the kinds of things that you don't necessarily expect from a movie with Captain in the name, except for Captain Ron. All right, let, let me start and, and hedge a little bit when you say it's thought-provoking. It's, there are interesting things about it, for sure, but when I think about a thought-provoking superhero movie, I mostly think about X-Men and how it creates this allegory about identity politics and all that sort of thing. I don't think Captain America is trying for that level of, uh, of ambition in its its symbolism. Oh, well, hold on, Mark. It has, think, the, it has Nazis in it, which means that it's deep and morally serious. Uh, oh, so oh, so it's the Holocaust movie. Oh, oh, oh God! I, I, not. I, I didn't notice that at all. I'm sorry. Well, hey, you know, you could be forgiven for not noticing that, right? Like maybe this is where we start about it. It's very interesting how they uh, they kind of take the Nazis out of it, right? Yeah, sure. So uh, that is to say say you're saying and I think this is this is a way of kind of setting up your bad guy as being a really bad guy with a couple of strokes like he's so bad that he's even worse than the Nazis. He out Hitler's Hitler, though, though Hitler does make a fantastic appearance in Captain America (laughs) in a music hall performance. (laughs) So wait, so so Hydra's in it, right? And Hydra is the the organization that the Red Skull runs. Or is like yeah. high ranking in, and and so they're like a are they are they part of the the Nazi government or just like a super secret they, evil they organization? Start out as the sort of science research division of the Third Reich, but then um, they go independent about ten fifteen minutes into the film. Oh, okay, gotcha. And so Captain America is primarily trying to stop them, not the Nazis yeah. themselves. Yes. Okay. Yes. And by science, it's not like you. Is it like eugenics, like Doctor Mengele stuff? No, it it's uh, it has to do with a blue glowing cube, <laughs> which gives you the power to have laser guns that are significantly less effective than machine guns. <laughs> How like will they be by the way, it's created yeah. by the Norse gods. Important detail, lest we forget. Mm. Yeah, they, I think that was largely just to set up the Avengers. I thought yeah. it was a Wagner reference. Right, because of all of the uh, with Wagner. Is this sort of well, like that, that, too. Teutonic yeah. They play some Wagner too, as I yeah, recall. There, there is some yeah. Wagner in the movie. Oh wow, excellent! So, so Hitler like, and Wagner. <laughs> that, well, that's that's sort of like how you know that uh, the Red Skull is a Nazi. That he sits around listening to Wagner before he tries to take over the world. But all of the things that made the Nazis really terrible are kind of elided, which is very interesting. I think. Um, 
Because it's, it's a tricky thing when you're looking at Captain America. He started out as a superhero who fought Nazis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to be true to that in his origin story. But if you bring the actual Nazis into it, like it very quickly becomes a, a movie that can't be as much fun as this movie wanted to be. So you end up with this, this curious sensation that um, Red Skull is worse than the Nazis and that he's more dangerous than the Nazis, but actually morally, ethically, he seems to be better than the Nazis, you know, or like the, the worst thing you see him do is betray his old comrades because betrayal is bad. Right. Um, but you're, you're asked to feel sorry for like the true believer Nazis who come to visit the, uh, the Hydra warehouse and be like, you know, you haven't been meeting your quotas. We may need to cut your funding a bit. And then he kills them with laser guns. Right. Um, and <laughs> That's it, how you do with most like, budgetary problems. Right. It's like it's the laser solution. You got to. Yeah. That. Right. Um, yeah. And, and it seems like, I mean, either you're supposed to root for Red Skull at that point because, hey, he's killing Nazis and, you know, <laughs> jolly good show, right? Or you have to feel for the Nazis who are getting killed. And, I mean, I don't know about the rest of you, but it seemed like the way it was shot, the way that um, it was kind of being dealt with, you end up feeling like Red Skull is still the bad guy and therefore by a kind of enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing, the actual Nazis are, if not good guys, at least better guys than the Red Skull. Am I right there? Uh, yeah, your your reading of that scene is accurate. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I didn't. I didn't have really any emotional reaction at all, uh, other than like, "Ooh, lasers." <laughs> I mean, that's an option, I guess. <laughs> that is one way of reading this scene, I suppose. Although I haven't seen it, but it seems like a reasonable interpretation. But well, so, okay, make, go ahead. They make some. They do make some effort to parallel the things that Hydra does with the things that the Nazis as a whole did. I'm and I'm thinking of two specific instances. One where uh, Schmidt, a.k.a. the Red Skull, captures a bunch of members from, I forget the number, but from Bucky's uh, infantry battalion and has them holed up in his his base to do research on. And there's apparently some sort of testing that he's doing on them. It's not really specified, but it has something to do with his alien energy. So he's using he's using live humans for scientific experiments, which is, you know, something Nazis actually did. And the second example is and obviously of course spoilers for Captain America, but I think we're we're kind of past that point. <laughs> yeah. we, we've kind of watershed at that moment. But about two thirds of the way through the movie, Schmidt's uh, I guess scientific henchman, uh, Dr. Dr. Arnim Zola, is captured by the by the Allies, by Cap America's team. And he's, you know, sort of recruited into like, hey, you know, we'll give you a pardon if you help us figure out this Hydra science and also figure out where the Hydra bases are. And Zola thinks about it for about three seconds and says, yeah, sure, okay. Which also ties into the repatriation of many, you know, German Reich scientists following World War II, which led to the development of American rocketry and several other technological advances. And my hometown. And your hometown. (laughs) Huntsville, Alabama, for those who keep in home score. Yes, when America looked around and said, where can we put these Nazis? That was what they decided. <laughs> Captain Alabama. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's that's two, I think, pretty obvious historical call outs saying like, hey, these are th- these guys are fitting the same pattern as the actual Nazis did. Mm, there is that. 
we, we already joked about this in the back channel, but before we leave this point, I think it, it has to be brought up that far and away the most ridiculous thing in this movie is the Hydra salute, which proves that Hydra is evil because when they do the Nazi salute, they use two arms. So they're double Nazis. <laughs> Except that, it, I mean, it's not like the the hand extended out front. It's it's like two arms straight in the air, kind of like you've just won a boxing match, right? Like, it's so. also double black power, but I don't think that's a really appropriate. <laughs> in, in yoga, it's called the victorious pose. <laughs> <laughs> they are Aryans. <laughs> so let's talk about the. We were always talking about Hydra. Let's talk about the faceless Hydra goons, the henchmen. Right. I mean, they're literally faceless. They're always covered up in masks. Right. So I had two explanations for this. One is that um, they're all into S and M. That was what the masks that they wear. Right. And I hope they have a safety word. You always have to have a safety word. Uh, the other explanation is that what, like, they that's sort of like, uh, like taking the idea of the faceless, the anonymous henchman to an utter extreme. Right, and by just putting them in mass, and they really have zero identity at all, which just makes them like very easy to kill and dispense with. Well, Captain America, unlike most superheroes, is is like coming into the room with a gun and shooting people. Right, there's none and, of this Batman like I'm not going to kill people crap. No, it's none of that. Like he's <laughs> you know he's often he's often uh, if he's not hitting them with a shield, uh, which was a surprisingly cool effect, much cooler than I expected it to be. Um, he's using a gun, and like if. You know, to have a hero just sort of walk through a room shooting people with faces is is uh, makes it harder to sell toys. Although one thing I did notice is that during a lot of the big fight scenes, Captain America almost never, I would go so far as to say never, but I don't quite have that perfect memory, but I have very little distinct memory of him shooting someone. Like in the in the big climactic set piece at the end where he has that frontal assault on the on the hydra base and he charges them in a motorcycle and is surrounded by guys he he clocks all of them like he he wangs them with the shield or he kicks them in the face or he arc, he ricochets the shield off three corners and hits two guys and then kicks another one and the shield comes back but he he never he never whips out a sidearm and just caps a dude straight in the face uh he does a lot in the uh in the like montage of fighting, he shoots quite a few people. There's well, like a, the, there was the scene where it was in the uh, trailer too, where let's say him with his squad behind him kicking open the door and him shooting people yes. with a pistol. He's shooting. He's shooting toward the camera, but we never see him actually like you know pull the trigger. Dude drops you know immediately in front of him. Which I I I've made this point in the in the straw dog straw dogs article I wrote a couple weeks ago. But it is a critical distinction for if for nothing else that on the PG thirteen and R barrier. I think like the the fewer people Captain America shoots straight up, the the more heroic he is. So it's okay for him to like, uh, you know, fling a shield at a motorcycle and then have the motorcycle explode and the explosion kill the Hydra dude, rather than him just like pulling his sidearm out. And oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it also just makes him more impressive, right? Like, he, he brings a shield to a gunfight, and it turns out, in fact, everyone else bought a gun to a shield fight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so is that, isn't that a sort of parallel in certain ways to the uh, dichotomy between Harry Potter and Voldemort when they're fighting each other? And Voldemort is trying to kill Harry, and Harry's trying to disarm him. This sort of, like, defense-as-offense thing that kind of makes somebody morally superior to someone who's actually just trying to be straight-up offensive. Um, that's you know, interesting. Because it's like a spear. It's not that it's not a gun, but it's also a shield, right? Yeah. And it's like one of the one of the classic philosophical justifications for a good war, right, is a defensive war. 
because right. no one no one can like like even World War II, right, would be a very different sort of idea if uh, if people had said like, you know, before the Nazis invade anything, they're just like, you know what, these guys, they look like they're bad news. Let's just invade Germany right now, right? Like yeah. in, in many well, that's, ways. That's could... what Captain America does to a large extent. <laughs> yeah. Like we don't really ever know what the Red Skull's going to do. We just know that the Cap is out to destroy him and successfully kills like hundreds of people and destroys many bases without really any understanding of why he's doing it. Yeah, right. Like, they, you get it at the end that he's going to blow up major U.S. cities, I guess, right? Um, but you don't but, even really, you don't know how? Like, yeah. I was really confused why the plane had to go down at the end. I would actually, I would really like for you all smart people who also saw this film to explain to me what was going to happen if the plane kept going. Yeah, my my one complaint about the movie, and not to turn this into too much of a review and less of an overthink, but the the stakes were not could have been set better like there's a couple scenes in the beginning of the movie where it's red skull and dr zola talking in the in their hydra lair and they're staring ju- either just off camera or just below just below the surface of the frame at something and they're talking very abstractly about all the the things it can possibly do and some and someone will pull a lever and there'll be energy and then Zola will say, oh, this is great. And Schmidt says, yes, this is great. And I, I was I was not clear on what was happening. And, and similar <laughs> to, you, to, to your issue with the plane, but I, I wasn't clear on why why that plane couldn't have been couldn't have been landed slower or at least forced to circle or I, it, it, it just wasn't obvious to me. Yeah, right. Like that was that was definitely a problem when he's like, look, I can't make it land. And there had been a scene not like five minutes before that where Hugo Weaving gets thrown into the control stick with a big shower of sparks. So logically in the audience, you're thinking there that, okay, the controls have been destroyed. He's going to have to blow the plane up in midair or something like that, or like manually kick one of the the, uh, the elevators so that uh, it then spirals out of control and crashes. But no, immediately after saying that, he takes control of the plane and then like flies it directly into the ground, which I think this actually... This transitions nicely into um, one. Actually, wait, I'm I'm sidetracking it. We haven't answered uh, Josh's question yet, have we? Well, I want, um, I want to go on a further tangent and point out that yeah. you can't manually kick anything. You you like, <laughs> you, know, you you pedal. You can't. He's the perfect soldier. <laughs> <laughs> he has hands in his feet. <laughs> Uh, kick puncher. Oh <laughs> this is a theme in Marvel. Oh, his punches I, are like kicks. I was I was trying to think of a of a uh, of a word for uh, of the equivalent of manually, which you know has the like the like the podiatry sort of root to it. But all I could come up with was pedantically. So I was going to think, oh, he can pedantically kick it, but that would have meant something. Different. No, that's my job. <laughs> so, Josh, I don't think we have an answer to your question. I don't think Jordan, there's. I don't think the movie. I don't think the movie answers your question. I mean, is it okay, something so, that like is, is there comic source material, comic book source material uh, from the movie that um, that uh, you know that explains it more? I would say that even if there were, it doesn't really matter because I mean, this sort of relates to the article Jordan wrote about clean and unclean readings, but. Uh, for all these superhero movies, I've always maintained that you need to judge them on their face value without um, without specific knowledge from the comics. Like, sure, you can go into them knowing sort of what the X-Men are, 
so that you know you can you know get the joke about the spandex costumes and things like that but about like you know in in you know edition four issue six you know it's explained that the red skull's plane has you know a bomb in it or something like that you know that should not be part of your reading and understanding of the movie what I what I thought was going on with it, although I, I do agree, it doesn't make it totally clear. Those little tiny planes inside the big plane had the silhouette of a bomb, and then they had the name of a city written on it. Which, like, if you've seen enough war movies, you know that, like, I don't know if people actually did this, but in war movies, very often you'll see bombs with Hitler written on the side or Tojo written on the side or whatever. And the idea is like, okay, it's got your name on it. So my impression was that all of those planes would. Um, be flown to the city that it's written the name on and then blow up, destroying the entire city. Which does raise the question of why when he crashes one of the planes into the larger plane, it doesn't then blow up solving the whole situation very neatly. But, you know, at at a certain point you have to have a movie, right? Yeah, I mean, I I complain about this, but it really didn't bother me at the time. It was sort of only Mm -hmm. thinking about it later that I thought, oh, wait a minute, what what just happened? Um, Because at the time I was like, yeah! You know, I, right, right. I was really into it. Um, the the other one is just the uh, the technology was sort of interesting, like the mix of magic and technology, which they started in Thor as sort of uh, when they were explaining, you know, the powers of Asgard. They were saying, "Oh, you would think of it as magic, but it's really technology." Um, yeah, sort of an interesting through line for the two films, and I'm interested to see how they take it through to the Avengers. But it really was. Pretty ineffective throughout the film. <laughs> the well, yeah, Thanks. except in, in, in turning you either red or really, really, really extremely good looking. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, that's a different technology. I'm talking about the, like the cube technology that uh, the Red Skull is yeah. developing. Oh, right. And what was, the, what was the relationship between the two, right? Because it seems like there, there, are, two, there are two separate kind of modalities uh, at war with one another, though they kind of get they kind of get mixed up. One is the you know chemical biochemical technology of injecting yourself with a serum, right, which uh, which turns you uh, really 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 very very good looking. Um, or red. <laughs> or well, the serum wasn't ready, and neither was the man. Uh, yeah. Right, and then and then the other is the blue glowy cube. Um, which is, you know, I don't know the the what the arc reactor of the gods, um, mm-hmm. which uh, which what makes uh, makes laser beams. Oh, can I take us off on a on a different tangent? Having just watched Harry Potter last week, um, the color of your energy when you shoot laser beams or magic laser beams. <laughs> Like this, these things are not accidental, right? Because people, you know, spend a lot of time sitting up at, you know, Skywalker Ranch, right? Like uh, choosing the colors of these things. And so like Voldemort and Harry being uh, green and red, I guess, um, Voldemort green because he's what kind of sickly and diseased and Harry red because he has the power of love. Uh why are the why are Which, the, by the way the opposite of return of the jedi in terms of lightsabers I was thinking colors. I was thinking the exact same thing that like red doesn't red mean doesn't red mean bad and certainly red skull here means bad um but his his energy is blue which seems kind of benevolent and uh you know um what 
peaceful, right? Like, uh, I don't know. Is is that all there is to say about it, or is anyone else? Have well, anything else? well, blue is the color of Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber that Luke Skywalker gets from Obi Wan Kenobi, but red is the color of Darth Vader's lightsaber that he has after he's become a Sith Lord. Although I'm not sure, I think that they actually changed this in the Clone Wars lore, right? He doesn't have the blue lightsaber anymore, and he has a different color lightsaber, although I'm sure that they've exhaustively researched that, uh, that lore and, and the continuity across the different platforms. Um, so you're talking about what, what blue versus, and then the lightning that the Emperor uses is blue. Right. Mm. Um, <laughs> There's the red pill and the blue pill in the Matrix, too. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's felt like those. Were- do they ever do it with? I guess in, in Return of the Jedi, it's red versus green, or like purple versus green. Is that hard for colorblind people to determine who's good and who's bad? That sort of fight because <laughs> they can't tell the difference between the two different colors of energy. Um, they're red, green, colorblind. Well, and also in Dragon Ball Z, Goku is blue and Vegeta is red. When the Gallic Gun and the Kamehameha go back and forth with each other, uh, I'm trying to think of other examples of the, the different. Like, but there's definitely red is definitely evil most of the time, and blue is definitely good most of the time, and green is definitely good. Like cooler colors because I think they re- represent more self discipline, right? Like they represent like uh, the use of of force. They're sort of like. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's like not a a kind of enjoyment, not a sort of indulgence in the use of force um, as a kind of like as a, you know, an expression of one's what base drives, but more a uh, more a kind of reasoned deployment of force in the service of some kind of greater, uh, greater good, which takes self-discipline, because, you know, if you just let yourself go, you'd uh, you'd blow up every American city. Yeah. What it goes back to is like the white knights and black knights. Right, which goes back to like you know medieval stuff and and lore and courtly love and ideas of chastity, right, as a virtue. Um, I mean, maybe that's part of it. Like Harry, Harry Potter is supposed to be more chaste than Lord Voldemort, who's supposed to be having sex all over the place. I don't know if the nose thing is going to get in his way. And uh, Lord Voldemort gave a really awkward hug. You know? <laughs> <laughs> two, uh, you notice that uh, in two straight weeks in a row we've had noseless villains. Hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. yeah. Another thing with the color is that, um, like the, the classic colored laser war text, of course, is GI Joe, right? Where you have red lasers and blue lasers, right, right? Right. But in this case, there's only only evil lasers. There are no good lasers. Uh, the good guys have actual firearms, which you know, in the real world, those don't have a color. They shoot bullets. But in movies, you have this big glowing warm muzzle flash all the time right and then if you go to the color wheel the opposite of sort of orange yellow red is the bluish territory so i think it might just be to to make them as opposite the good guys as they could make right them. but let's also not forget that the power that they're drawing from is neither intrinsically good nor evil it's hmm. just is power it- it's because it comes from the norse cube and it's like you yeah. know uh it's kind of locked away and before, it's never before said. time was there was the Norse cube. Yes, oh, thank, thank you. Yes, thank you for making the Transformers connection right there. Right, because that, that, for those who who haven't seen Transformers or has been a while since you've seen it, the first line of the original Transformers movie is pretty much what Matt just said. Right, before there was time, there was the cube. Right. Right. So, and, 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 and that definitely popped into mind as the cube came out and was like, oh, here's another powerful cube here. What's with the powerful <laughs> cubes and fiction? 
Has anyone written the Transformers Borg fan fiction yet? Because that's really sort of set itself up. As to the color thing, I think it goes back further than the Knights, Jordan. It's, I mean, we're, the sky is blue. The sort of the fire under the earth is red. This is where we get like heaven and hell. I mean, that's been around for thousands of years as sort of blue being above and pristine and red being base and deadly. So mm. I think that, um, but this movie clearly just ignores that, which, which yeah. I applaud it. Uh, for doing, though, I <laughs> really enough, couldn't couldn't get over the fact that they were so ineffective. That was just I just laughed my head off during this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I want you to lasers disintegrated people. Like you hit someone with a laser, they they just disappear. They're poof, gone. That's right. But it, but you know, there were roughly equivalent numbers in the final storming. There are roughly equivalent numbers of Americans and Hydras. And the Americans have machine guns. The Hydras have laser guns. And the Americans win very quickly. <laughs> oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Remember the masks I was talking about earlier that could be for S&M purposes or most likely just to hide identities? Um, there's not a lot of peripheral vision there, right? Um, so yeah. they have limited fields of view. And so the Americans are, like, flanking them. They're shooting out from the sides. This is, this is what happens when you let scientists design your paramilitary squad. That just small unit tactics completely go out the window. It's, it, no, just, it's just no good. Another yeah. quick example of their ineffectiveness, the fact that the prisoners escape with no weapons and destroy the entire base. <laughs> right? The base self-destructs also, right? And also with the help of a giant tank that had a laser on it, which is apparently completely intuitive to drive in that, you know, three Americans can jump in and be like, hey, well, let's one do of it. Them, one of them took some German in college. Yeah, and French. Right. <laughs> and, and conveniently, they had like put the, you know, you have a super advanced paramilitary Nazi organization, but you have to label all of the, all of the controls in your tank, uh, because otherwise, right, like the driver is clearly going to forget how to start it and stop it. Oh, oh! Speaking of labels on vehicles in this movie, did you notice that conveniently the Hydra wing plane that's at the end? Uh, the autopilot switch is conveniently labeled in English. <laughs> Just so you know, because it's, it's an extremely quick cut to Schmidt flipping the autopilot thing. To, no, no, to, Mark, it's, it's not autopilot. That's clearly- it's not autopilot, it's autopilot. Autopilot, <laughs> yeah. Like Autobahn. <laughs> yes. Clearly a word that came over uh, in Proto-Germanic before English came uh, came down. Sure, sure. So here, let me get back to the thing that I was uh, talking about before, right? I was, that, um, I was just thinking about Starscream Locutus Slashfic myself. <laughs> I'm actually looking it up right now. If you go to TransformersFanfic.com, you can find a – I think the, the best one – it seems to be a consensus that the best – uh, stories about the Transformers and the Borg fighting each other are the story Assimilation by Lizard, uh, which has a five-star rating, um, and, all, and the story Soundwave versus the, Vo- versus the Borg by Big Trev, uh, um, which is Soundwave is trying to organize resistance against the, uh, the incursion of Borg, assim- Borg Assimilation on the Decepticons. Shouldn't, so they be, shouldn't they be teamed up, though? Aren't the Transformers what the Borg like, hope to become? 
I think I suspect, although I don't know um, too much about this particular piece that I've not read, but Soundwave always struck me as like the one guy on Cybertron among the Decepticons who, who really saw the big picture and understood that it was important for the organization to be managed soundly. And he was like, you know, by the way, I know you guys are all crazy, but like, let's keep the let's keep the lights on, you know, like let's keep this thing working. <laughs> That's the lucky Luciano of Cybertron. <laughs> also, pretty clearly. Soundwave is the guy who turns into a boombox and has like little tape transformers in his chest, right? Yeah, that's him, exactly. Yeah, so pretty clearly, he is way too silly for the Borg to have any time for. Like when they assimilate the Decepticons and cut away what is weak and mortal about them, Soundwave is what they're cutting away. So I suppose. But he's also very serious among the Decepticons, who are often more whimsical than he is. Although it's- <laughs> Like, because he has like a little hawk that's like a voice to mente that lives in his stomach. But, um, but I, 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 I guys, I did that. I did a quick, uh, did a quick search, and I, I don't know if we touched on this already, but do you know what the word for pilot is in German? Is it pilot? It's, it's pilot. Oh, oh, oh. And, we know, and we know what the word for, for auto is because you know the autobahn and stuff like that. So, yeah, except, I, except the autobahn refers to cars, not to uh, automation. Well, so it's so it's a, a car pilot, uh, you know. It, I, it, it, I I I don't I got nothing. I I want to interface with your collective rasped star scream as he caressed the positronic implants on drone seven B five nine B. Oh, P, uh, See, I was, Jordan. I was Jordan, to take it away from fanfic, but thank you for for bringing it back to fan. It was worth our time, Jordan. You uh, you uh, were trying to make a point before we stomped on you. So what uh, what was it? Okay, so back to the um, why does that plane crash at the end, right? Um, and let's get away from the idea that Captain America was trying to do something legitimately necessary to save many many lives. And suggests that maybe he did it because it was just something that he kind of wanted to do. One thing that I find interesting about this movie is the idea, and they make a big deal of this, that the best person to turn into a superpowered, you know, um, physically perfect specimen is someone who is really, really weak and who has been sort of beat up all his life by the strong. That only this person will be able to morally use their their incredible violent skills for good. And that strikes me as extremely unlikely, right? Um, If you go back and look at what we know about this guy, right, uh, he will not back down from a fight that he is sure to lose. He has an impulse for martyrdom. He throws himself on a grenade, right? Um, Neither of those are things you necessarily want in your super soldiers. And it might be that him crashing the plane, you know, it's not because it needs to happen. It's because he sort of assumes that this is going to do something bad. And he says, well, here's my chance to go out in a blaze of glory. The, I, I want to nitpick a little bit about the, the grenade thing, because that's what you're trained to do in the military, right? The idea being that if a grenade is thrown into your foxhole, better that one guy goes, better that one guy goes than the whole, you know, group that's in there. I, I don't know that that's something you're trained to do. I, 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 that's that's a trope that's come up a lot in in war movies, and that's certainly a, a heroic way to end. And uh, I, I know there are several people who have uh, medals of honor for for that sort of thing, but they don't teach you grenade falling on in basic training. Like if there's a live grenade, your your response should be what everyone else in the squad did to to duck and cover. I uh, oh okay, yeah, that's I, a hard thing to teach. 
Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess my, I have not been in the service myself, and so my, uh, my experience of it, not experience, my knowledge of it comes from an older friend who was in Vietnam who said that that that's what they were trained to do in the army, but no, no doubt it's changed because you do lose a lot of people using that in strategy. Well, I, doesn't that also lead to awkward things where like three or four people dive for it and then, you know, like you're fighting. Over yeah, who's going to get it? Who's going to get the grenade? Yeah. Yeah, Fun fact, uh, more citations for the Medal of Honor have been awarded for falling on grenades to save comrades than for any other single act. Wow. Yeah. Really? That's, that's, that's from the falling on a grenade Wikipedia page, which doesn't... <laughs> It, it involves so it has a list of notable people who fell on grenades going from 1943 to the present and uh, talks about um, uh, philosophy and evolutionary psychology involving altruism and egoism in like a brief one line uh, sentence. And, and, <laughs> and, and uh, funny, funny thing, they were all 27 years old. <laughs> Y'all, that's oh. sad. Oh, too oh, soon. Too soon. But Jordan, Jordan, the the idea that he's, uh, you know, he's this weakling, and that's going to make him a, a more responsible wielder of power. The I think you're right; it sort of goes against a lot of things. But one of the things it goes against is the is Hitler and Nazi Germany. Right? I was just like, thinking like, that. <laughs> like, like Hitler's the, like this loser painter, and then he finally gets some power, and it like you know either drives him crazy or allows him to really you know uh, indulge be in the crazy, crazy, that crazy in a very effective way uh, and then germany is the same way germany was feeling really weak after world war one and and sort of he used that to uh to to gain power and to turn it into what it became so yeah i agree with you interesting choice um i feel like you really want sort of a lenny character if you're gonna make someone a super soldier <laughs> you know, just like, are you just... talking like lenny and carl from the simpsons or lenny from mice of men or mice and men just wants yeah. to pet the rabbits. <laughs> like, go pet the Germans, and then you, <laughs> a, you want a blaster master to rule Border Town. Basically, you want like a Hodor is what you want. You want somebody like giant Faulknerian man child. Like, is there a serum for that? Like gi- giant Faulknerian man child serum that you take that like turns into this like metaphor for innocence lost? <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's, it's called gin, but you have to take it in utero. <laughs> so anyway so that was that was i think the uh one of the big uh fallacies in this movie that like a weak man is the person you want to be strongest the other big fallacy um which i'm going to excuse because i wanted to see a fun movie rather than a deeply boring movie but i think it needs to be pointed out if we're going to earn our uh our name as a website right is that the best way to use someone who can lift a motorcycle over their head in a war is to send them behind enemy lines and have them single-handedly like blow everyone up. Like clearly the best way to use him is to sell war bonds. Like a 10% uptick, that's that's huge. That could legitimately benefit the uh the United States military apparatus in a way that taking out Hydra is really not going to. Am well, I wrong so you, there? <laughs> so you send him around to like use car lots and have him lift cars so that people buy war bonds? Is that what you do? Oh, yeah. I mean, Maybe he's going to say like throw motorcycles at the Germans. Actually, actually <laughs> since, since you haven't seen the movie, I'll tell you, that is an actual plot point. Like before he becomes a soldier, Captain America does in fact go around the country and sell war bonds. So oh, just, interesting. just so you're up to speed. And Stokes, to that point, the movie has a lot of has a couple of rather, I think, interesting and maybe subtly controversial points about the nature of propaganda. Because Schmidt, on the one hand, talks 
explicitly about the propaganda the Nazis use. He says, oh, you know, for Hitler, the, you know, the idea of Teutonic domination and Teutonic myth, that's just, you know, that's just propaganda for him. But I believe it's the real thing. I believe, you know, in Teutonic super knights and magical Odin cubes and stuff like that. Whereas, Whereas Hitler's just faking it till he makes it. And so that's on the Nazi side. On the Allied side, you have... As is, as is communicated through that, you know, with a very entertaining montage, the idea that propaganda isn't a real man's work. That, you know, yeah. there, there are more heroic and manly and important things that Captain America could, could be doing. And this, his sort of USO gigs and the, the war bomb drives is kind of a sideshow. It, it, it's, sort of, it, it's sort of very very shallow and very obvious and a little corny, which... Which is kind of a which is kind of a subversive take for a patriotic movie, especially considering the the very important role that prop- that American propaganda had in getting you know Allied enlistment up and getting women into the workforce and you know keeping soldiers dedicated and driven. Uh, it's it's not it's not something that's often commented on. That oh yeah, by the way, the the depart the War Department was engaging in you know deliberate psychological manipulation of of the populace in order to keep the war going. Which you know, if World War Two is a good war, is okay, but it's still psychological manipulation. And are we yeah. cool with that? I want to get back see- to the put to the propaganda point in a second, but I don't really see like you know Captain America's role in propaganda as about a commentary in that specifically. It's more just you know economics. It's about uh, maximization of utility, right? Like, where does Captain America uh, maximize his utility the most? Is it by selling You know where he maximizes utility is, is in Alamogordo, where they can learn how to make more of him. <laughs> like, if you <laughs> actually want to help the war effort, go submit to the lab tests. So the fact that they failed to actually write down how to make the serum, uh, which, which was, you know, <laughs> goes down as one of the worst military decisions in history... Um, yeah. You know, they they can try to correct that. That's how you. So they they nod to that briefly, but they take a, a blood sample from him, right? And they send yeah. it to the lab, and and and, and so I'll, I'll I'll excuse that. But yeah. uh, it's a, a little known. Uh, one of the other reasons why you want to have peer review is, in addition to having like solid research, if someone kills the one guy who knows how to make the super serum, like his research is published, it's in a journal somewhere, and you can just pick that shit right back up. Yeah, say so like, what was he doing? What was the, you know, it was like the Coke, the Coke recipe and the super serum <laughs> recipe. Like, like. Well, keep in mind, well, keep in mind, this is a guy who escaped from Third Reich Germany. So he lived in Germany for a while. Then the Nazis came to power, and he, and he worked for them apparently briefly enough to. Ins- I almost said inseminate, but that really is the appropriate word if you have a serum. So inserimate, thank you, to inserimate uh, the Red Skull. And I was like, whoa, this guy's crazy. So he goes to America, but I guess at this point maybe he still has his bags packed. He's like, well, let's see how the Americans turn out because I've been, I've been steered wrong before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if you're Tommy Lee Jones, you put that in the you know, repatriation contract, I think. Like, Werner von Braun did not get to come over and be like, ah, I don't really want to tell you how to make the V2. Trust me. <laughs> like, that's not how it works. <laughs> so, so what level, for those of us who, who haven't seen the movie, uh, what level of super strength and super ability does Captain America have in this particular movie? And how will it stack up when the Avengers rolls around with the superhero, super abilities of people like Iron Man and Thor and Hulk and things like that? Not I would well. say... 
Like, his physical abilities are about on par with the limits of human potential. Like, he can jump as high as an Olympic high jumper. He can do feats of strength on par with Magnus Veer Magnuson, you know? Like, he lift a motorcycle with two women sitting on it over his head. That's the strongest thing you see him do. His abilities in terms of, like, you know, capability and aim and stuff like that are about on par with Batman, Okay. So com- compared to a, like a legitimate Norse god uh, and a walking suit of power armor, not great. Not great. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think my my understanding. I haven't read a lot of Avengers comics, but my understanding is that it's really about like the moral compass and the sort of leadership abilities. They're really it's like what he brings to that team more than actual physical presence, right? Like if you're on a team with the Hulk. Like you know, you don't you, know, you don't have to kick the door open. You got to make sure the Hulk is in place to kick the door open. Right. This is something that all managers should learn as they start new jobs with teams. It's like, you know, if you don't don't try to lift the car if the Hulk is on your team. Like, learn how to supervise. Like, right. exactly. if, if smashing is the Hulk's core competency. Then you, should, you know, play to the strengths. <laughs> The manager's role there is to be like, hey, that car said something really bad about your mom, and it, it hates being up in the air, just so you know. <laughs> hey, so I want to go back to propaganda for a second, because the most interesting thing uh, in that area uh, of the movie is the fact that, you know, as Captain America becomes a propaganda symbol for the war effort, they make a Captain America comic book. Yeah, and it's so, right? and the, the cover is actually the same uh, either the same or very heavily based on the original Captain America cover where he like slugs Adolf Hitler. So what do we what do we make of that? Then is that evidence for John's interpretation that uh, this movie is oddly subversive of propaganda, not just propaganda, but comic book characters to begin with, saying that that's like sort of a diversion and not worthy? Uh, or is there something else going on? Well, so the actual first Captain America came out in 41, right? I mean, the first Captain America was designed to sort of be this patriotic symbol of, you know, the best of America going to war, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I think we can look at it in a really cynical way. And I think, you know, propaganda should always be sort of looked at askance, but there's, you know, it also works. And if you sort of believe that what's, if you're that. You know, we're in that war for the right reasons. Then creating a character to inspire people to to join up or to you know buy the war bonds is not inherently bad. Yeah. Well, it's it's like shooting Germans, right? Like under most circumstances, that's bad. But during World War II, we give it a pass typically, right? Right. I mean, yeah, typically. it's 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 a tool. Like any tool, it's like how you use it is 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 how it should be judged. Mm-hmm. Like. So, yeah, I, like steroids, which is yeah. what I want to talk about because that's what this movie is actually about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, Barry, Barry Bonds also took a super serum. Yeah, right. totally. And yeah, like the uh, superhero. <laughs> Captain America's list of Hydra bases blown up has an asterisk next to it. <laughs> <laughs> so is the movie very pro-steroids or is it very anti-steroids? Like, how does it come out? Is Jose Canseco make a cameo in it or... No, I mean, you know, the, this entire character, all of his sort of strengths and powers are based on, like, you know, are, are in a sense unearned. They are the result of a chemical cocktail that, that made him a lot stronger than everybody else around him. I mean, it really just, it's a hard, it's, it is an exact parallel for stars. And in this case, it's saying, well, you know, great. Uh, he's strong. There's no effects. You know, there's no sort of scene about Captain America's shrunken testicles. 
Uh, <laughs> fortunately, that was uh, that was cut out of the film. Wait, yeah. you, never, you never see the scene where he he gets it on with Rachel Vice there. Right, exactly. Rachel Vice, hold on a minute. Is she in the movie too, or there are we misidentifying brunettes again? I'm. That's that's what I'm doing. Oh, okay. I, I, otherwise, I was going to go see the movie right now and like not bother finishing the podcast. <laughs> Rachel Vice is in this movie having sex with Captain America. I mean, I already made that as a desktop wallpaper, so I'd be really surprised if they uh, put it in the movie because I didn't tell them about it. But um, but it was Constantine era Rachel Vice. So <laughs> different, different proposition. So one, is, one interesting, one interesting side effect of the super serum. We say it, we, earlier we were, we're alluding to that it doesn't have the same negative side effects as steroids, which is true. But the one we don't ser- know that that's one, true. Well, that's true. But what the, the only thing that's pointed out in the movie is that he can't get drunk. Right. Like right. His metabolism isn't altered such that you know his body processes alcohol too fast for him to get drunk. Which, you know, they could have also alluded to because his metabolism is four times the speed of a normal human's. He should pretty much constantly be eating. Like, at every scene where he's being debriefed at, you know, Howard Stark and Colonel Tommy Lee Jones' headquarters, he should have, like, you know, a big bar of, like, army ration chocolate in one hand, just sort of gnawing on it and nodding patiently. Well, also, if we we carry on this idea of the faster metabolism... Uh, he should also only live like a quarter of the length if he's got metabolism four times that of a uh, of a normal human. <laughs> yeah, he also, he also has that, yeah. he has healing powers, right? He has his you know his Wolverine powers have been chemically induced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's hinted at. I don't I don't know how explicit they never sort of like show a wound healing really fast, um, but I, it does sort of hint at that certainly. And then, you know, it's, it's amazing what 70 years frozen can do for your, you know, I, um, smile lines. Just, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It keeps, keeps you healthy pretty young. My last sort of nitpick on the film is you pull this man out of a plane in the Arctic and you decide we're going to wake him up in a setting that, you know, tries to, uh, tries to fool him and make him think it's still the 1940s and not, in fact, the, the 2010s. And in, uh, where can we do that? Where's the safest place to do that? Two blocks from Times Square, Square is what they've chosen. <laughs> <laughs> Not a place so full on PTSD flashback. Yeah, yeah. No, they, well, they, so Pete, he wakes up in a room that's like they've got a, like a fake painting of 1940s New York outside the window. The nurse is dressed like a you know 1940s nurse. There's a baseball game playing on an old timey radio. And also, everything is a little bit sepia toned. Yes, yeah, yeah. which should have been a giveaway because he he could have woken up and said, "Hey, wait a second! The actual forties weren't like this." But <laughs> <laughs> so rather than we're build- not this hot in the forties, <laughs> <laughs> rather than build this room in Kansas, like in rural Kansas, they've uh, they've built it on Forty Second Street for reasons that are really. Then- I mean, this is just I'm shooting in the dark here, but if I'm ever passed out in a plane in the Arctic and you want to wake me up somewhere where I'm not going to think anything has happened, wake me up on a plane in the Arctic, right? (laughs) (laughs) You make an excellent point. Yeah. Oh, one other thing while we're talking about the Times Square scene. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, the ads inside of Times Square are... You know, are just taken from what's in Times Square. There is a <laughs> there's a huge billboard for the Daniel Radcliffe How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying musical. So, which leads me to the conclusion that 
uh, the universe that Captain America and all the various Avengers inhabit is one in which all of the musical theater that we know about exists, but none of the movies that we know about exist. <laughs> wait, 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 so Spider-Man can go see Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> wait, but Daniel Radcliffe wouldn't be in a Broadway show if there weren't Harry Potter movies that he was in previous to be. I mean, he's good. He's not that good. No, no, no Marvel no Marvel Comics movies exist in this universe. But okay. they have DC Comics. So, like, so maybe Tony Stark sits around and like watches Batman and being like, hey, this looks familiar. <laughs> no, Wait, I'm nothing like that guy. They have DC Comics in the world of Captain America, so they like can read the Green Lantern and stuff? I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that, that, that's a possibility. Because there's, there's, there's definitely no Marvel comics, because otherwise there would be like, you know, Cap, or, or, or that's a bad example. The point that Mark is making is that whenever a fictional story like this takes place in the real world, it's never actually the real world, because the real world includes a fictional story. It's always a subset of the real world with, cer- with certain things left out. And, it's, you know, the, it's the set of all sets that doesn't include itself. Right. Oh, so so it doesn't actually have a scene where he's like, "Ooh, look, it's the new Blue Beetle. I'm going to read it." Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. There is there is a scene though where he's standing in front of the theater and it says, "God, Book of Mormon or How to Succeed in Business? Where do I go? Where do I go? Which is more <laughs> American?" Uh, sorry, Captain America. If you want to see Book of Mormon, you're gonna have to shout like 400 bucks because that shit is <laughs> sold out for many, many months. You should and have bought the ticket before frozen. you got frozen. Yeah. He's like 400 yeah. bucks. What is it? A car? Like, do I need to buy it? Crazy. Has anyone made any boot leather soup? I'm hungry. It's been a long time. Does <laughs> 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 he just start spouting racial slurs as he's like, oh, <laughs> I can't even. Repeat oh, that's it. a whole other can of worms to talk about oh, uh, about race in this in this movie because there. There is the African American character, and he doesn't die, by the way, which is oh. admirable. Um, in fact, he's when, trilingual. Yeah, he is trilingual. No, just, just a side note: they reference that he went to Howard College, which is like, yeah. if I'm understanding this correctly, is one of these sort of elite uh, black colleges in the United States, right? Uh, so there's that character, and there's also the Asian American character uh, who is quote unquote from Fresno, which is highly and and also his name is uh, if you uh, you know research a little bit into the Marvel comics canon is Jim Morita. Meaning that he's Japanese, meaning that probably the rest of his family from Fresno is in an internment camp. Yeah, yeah. yeah so so from which yeah. Captain America will save them and then arm them with laser tanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's the so, who who was thinking when like they zip line down onto the train, three people, right? And it's Captain America, his sidekick, Bucky, right, who is from the comic books, his standard sidekick, and then the black guy who was thinking, like, you, sir, you, Derek Luke, are going to die right now. <laughs> How's that red shirt feel? Yeah. <laughs> it didn't turn out that way. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. <laughs> And yet, that was that was interestingly done. So, talking about Captain America's team briefly, it's I think it's kind of a shame because they introduce six characters who they put some effort into distinguishing. There's Neil McDonough playing Dum Dum Dugan. There's Derek Luke playing uh, I didn't even catch the guy's name. Derek Luke essentially playing Derek Luke. There's what's his name playing James Morita, and there's a British guy and a French guy who doesn't speak a word of English, but he's an expert saboteur, like all French people who were worth capturing in World War II are. <laughs> and and you know they they give them like that much effort in investing in the personality, and then you know they go on a few missions in this this great action montage, and then 
the movie's over. And well, it's, it's, like, it's not an ensemble movie. They don't. It's not like X Men where they all get to use their powers in a, in a scene. But I mean, it's it's kind it's kind of a shame because you know there are these guys and they could have been really interesting. And the last thing we see them is them having a memorial drink to the captain after his plane goes down in the Arctic. And oh, they're all dead now because it's seventy years later. There's no yeah. way they can. There's no way they can be brought back unless like oh, we just happened to freeze Dum Dum Dugan because <laughs> nobody knows how to club people in the head with a shotgun better than him. So we, yeah. we want to save him and extract his blood like a serum so we could be more effective at clubbing people in the head with shotguns. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the, I mean, first of all, how did Captain Morgan miss the marketing opportunity that that drink scene provided? Secondly, I really want to see this like another movie that is just that montage for two hours. Like they should yeah. absolutely make it. That was a, that was a lot of fun, and like I really left this movie feeling like I wanted to see more, which is pretty rare for a superhero movie. But this was just like all of that stuff I could have watched for a long time, and I hope they do it. Like just the dumb dumb character who's just you know I'd watch that mustache and the bowler hat beat up Germans for for two hours. I would gladly pay fifteen bucks to see that in three D. I, I would see the, the a Jim Marita movie. I would just watch that. Maybe that maybe, maybe that's just me. Where he like gets old and retires and teaches an angry white kid from New Jersey how to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> Get started on that fanfic, right? <laughs> it's it's when Blinky already wrote that. <laughs> that's true he did did he really <laughs> so, with the, that was fast with the, yeah. <laughs> with the 70 years later thing did everyone else feel like it was setting up for like a final scene where Captain America tracks down his love interest like in a nursing home somewhere and they like they finally dance to Benny Goodman I was kind of expecting that, yeah. Yeah, right. That would have been so nice. That's what I feel like the post-credits thing was going to be. Like, oh, he tracks her down, and then... But no, it's... That wasn't what the post-credits thing was. The the pathos of, I had a date, was really pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a good ending line. You were like, um... Yeah, they've got you hooked for the next movie with that. Yeah, because, I mean, because Steve Rogers has probably never gotten laid, because... He wasn't getting any when he was 90 pounds, and he was kind of busy once he was good-looking. I mean, he does make out with that one that one blonde uh, uh, WAC in the war office, and then he kisses Peggy Carter. He was sexually assaulted by that blonde in the war office. Oh, true. Fair, fair enough, although that's not really something to, to laugh at. I, I <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, he's... Uh, he had a date, and he was really looking forward to that date because that was a that was a lifetime of missed opportunities. And now he's now he's in a whole different sexual culture, like hookup culture, sexting. That's going to be like whoa, oh, way over his head. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> Imagine, right, but like, he's, making, he's gonna. Oh, good. Imagine making this movie for like the guy who's frozen in 2010. He's like he's on his iPhone with his girlfriend right before the plane goes into the ice. Like I still don't know how to sext. I'll teach you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's move on to some. Uh, let's move on to some um, uh, of the haiku reviews uh, from Hasbaz uh, at H A Z B A Z. We have uh, in order to work, Captain America is. Irony free zone. Um, and yet it's not, though. I'm convinced that Hail Hydra is intentionally over the top. And we played a little bit for laughs. Uh, that, that is so, not too well, actually, but the Hydra, the, sorry, the Hydra 
cult in the comics does salute that same way. They use the double fists up. That's not to say that's not to say that that couldn't also been played a little bit. True. Before. I mean, yes, that, that could. I mean, they could just be importing that irony, if you will. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure there were there were a couple of ironic moments in it, but I would agree that the tone of it was really very sincere. Yeah. So wait, was that the whole haiku? Yes, I they're very short. Very oh, okay. They're, I was expecting it's, it's there's only 17 syllables, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's it? You call that a poem? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair uh, all right. Um, oh, uh, this one uh, is from at Dromedary uh, on the Twitters. And this is uh, in response to Mark having seen Exit Through the Gift Shop this week. Uh, it's uh, Gift Shop Exodus. Allegory of Cave from Netflix Fourth Wall. Except you have to say Netflix's Fourth Wall in order for it to scan with the proper number of syllables. So Gift Shop Exodus, Allegory of Cave from Netflix's Fourth Wall. I have no idea what that means. Was that your, uh, was that your experience, Mark? Uh, I, I'm with Josh. I'm not quite sure what this. Is. Well, the allegory of the cave is the is the bit in Plato's Republic where you it's know, the shadow puppets, right? Yeah, it's like but you don't understand what reality. Looking at yeah, looking at life is like being in the cave with the shadow show going on behind you, and all you see is the shadows on the uh, on the wall. And the idea of Netflix's fourth wall is like the screen of your television, and it's sort of an allegory of a cave because uh, there's like a, a creator behind the creator. Um, of the movie, and the movie kind of plays with the idea of creation. Maybe it was, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's a couple levels of of meta. Maybe you need a, you know, bachelor's degree in philosophy in order to understand it. But you know, yeah, my my mere bachelor's in history is not allowing me to process this. <laughs> All right. Continue. Um, excellent. The uh, wow, kick puncher. His punches are like philosophy. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> at, at shiny empty head. Uh, this one for Transformers. Transforming robots. Why can't you change to having personalities? That's my Ooh. favorite. Yeah, that's my favorite from this week. It is also a sick burn. We also, uh, we also uh, got this in from a fan, not on Twitter. Um, <laughs> rock, 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 rock. Captain America abs. Hard, 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 hard. <laughs> it gets to the point, right? <laughs> I suppose um, it's like that, huh? It's, it's that kind of movie. <laughs> Fair enough. Just, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of beefcake, and well, I guess there's the one like the the Rockettes who are doing the USO show are really sort of the only eye candy on uh, sort of on the other side of the fence. There, am I am I missing anything? Like relative to the other superhero movies we've seen, this was not about sort of titillating teenage boys. Mm. Yeah, I mean, only titillating them with power fantasies. Well, yeah. is, in a lot <laughs> of ways, this movie felt very old school to me. And the degree to which, like, it was more about power fantasies than Scarlett Johansson in a cat suit was one of them. Mm. Don't most power fantasies include Scarlett Johansson in a cat suit? Well, these days, but, you know, oh. we, live in a, we live in a debased age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say a, a 
I would say Scarlett Johansson in a cat suit is sufficient but not necessary for a <laughs> And we're not going to improve on that, so let's call it a night there. Uh, this has been the Overthinking It podcast. If you want to talk to us, you can Twitter us at Overthinking It. Uh, you have to haiku review next week's movies, so when you're coming out of the theater, talk to your uh, smart, funny friends when you're out at drinks and come up with um, come up with some haiku reviews of the movies that you just saw and uh, tweet them to us at overthinking it you can also email us at podcast at overthinking it.com or you can call us and i'd like to start playing some of the voicemails i just downloaded a mess of them the other week uh and uh, we have the technology um so we, we got can, it from a norse cube <laughs> <laughs> by way of an escaped german Even if the technology is I transfer them to my phone and hold my phone up to the microphone and hit play. Uh, We have the technology to do that, uh, by which I mean my phone. So you can call us at 203-285-6401. Call or text. You know, you could text us your haiku reviews. 203-285-6401. It should be on your speed dial because we want to hear from you really no matter what you're doing. 203-285. Five six four zero one. We'll be back next week with more overthinking it. We're coming up on the three year anniversary of weekly overthinking it podcasts. We've been doing it weekly, uh, like a good marriage. We do it weekly uh, for three years, <laughs> uh, uh, and we um, on a know. Sunday night for procreative purposes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you know, we'll take your suggestions for what to. Uh, um, uh, for how to commemorate the three-year uh, anniversary, we got to figure out what uh, exactly what show it's going to be, and um, so you can tweet that at overthinking it, email at uh, email podcast at overthinking dot com, or call two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Until next week, we'll be at www.overthinkingit.com, the site where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. When Captain America throws his mighty shield Is there some symbolism to throwing the shield? It's kind of how America (laughs) operates, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's a defensive technology Boom Uh, I preferred this movie's theme song Captain America Captain America (laughs) I wonder wonder what the debriefing meeting is for for Captain America after he wakes up like alright here's a list of the wars we've been in since you've been asleep (laughs) (laughs) you lazy bastard we could have used you yeah (laughs)